I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Calibre, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. I am delighted to be joined by Richard Hodges, Dickie to his friends, fund manager on the Namura Global Dynamic Bond Fund. Dickie, um, I think dynamic is a fair expression when it comes to you and your style of management. You're an active manager. Uh, you look for short-term tactical investments as well as long-term ones. Um, maybe a, a, a quick line on what's gone on in the last quarter and some of the new ideas that you've put into the fund. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Doris, for inviting me today. Um, so we all know what's gone on over the last three months within the world. <clears throat> We've had the, the introduction to COVID-19, the pandemic, and the resulting collapse in global equity markets and also global economies. Uh, and certainly from the point of view of global economies, we, uh, and it's general consensus, and it won't come as a surprise, that the market, the, the economies are going to take longer to recover. I mean, it's a fairly sensible uh, assumption to make. The one thing which you have to do from our perspective is you try and disassociate to a certain degree asset prices with an economy, because one will lead the other and vice versa on occasions. And we've seen this. In the, uh, in the midst of the equity market collapse, global equity markets, the S&P was down 35%. Only three days ago, the S&P was back up 45%. So you've seen some asset price moving, regardless of the fact that we, and a general consensus, and everybody expects economies to slow. We expect Q2 numbers with regard to growth to be worse than Q1. It's fairly obvious. And then we're debating whether the shape of the recovery is going to be a U, uh, an L, or indeed a W. Uh, but we have to disassociate prices from this. Uh, Darius introduced the fund as a flexible fund. Well, an example would be, for the last two years on the fund, we have only had up to approximately 2 to 3% exposure to global investment-grade corporate not because we were, we were worried about the default probabilities. We just didn't believe just that there was sufficient return and income to meet expectations. And indeed, equity markets have rallied for the best part of a decade. Spreads on corporate debt have got narrower, which means the yield and the income we can distribute gets less. But after the, after the COVID-19 uh, COVID outbreak, and from the 19th of March, which was the bottom of global equity markets, we went from an exposure of only 2 to 3% corporate debt to 21%. We had so quite, a big, quite, a big, quite a big movement then. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, uh, we were expecting equity markets to fall. You know, we had uh, uh, around about 25 to 27% global government debt sitting in the portfolio, which wasn't yielding an awful lot, but we deemed it necessary from a liquidity perspective. We also owned some protection to protect the fund against equity markets falling. We were expecting equity markets to fall a roughly 10 to 15%. And I think it, uh, nobody expected the collapse in, uh, in equity markets to 35%. So we did have, uh, we do have a lot of changes in the portfolio. We have a lot of uh, liquidity in the portfolio, and we expect a lot of volatility moving forward. But equally, we've got a lot of ammunition today, even more so for us to uh, to uh, expect weakness to come through and capitalise on it. And look, I think that takes us nicely into my second question, which is the word hedging. 
means one thing um, to, 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 to you and it may mean something different to our investors. But if I frame it by talking about safety nets and protection um, and how you've used some of those um, positions to protect, given that market rally has been so strong, where have you added these type of safeguard protections, Dickie? Well, one other, when you're investing in riskier asset classes, or when anyone invests in corporate credit is a riskier asset class than government debt. It's just a function of the credit ratings as well. So when you're investing in, in, in markets that are to try and generate a higher level of income, for us to meet a distribution of income or to have a, a, a yield that we find attractive and appealing to investors – we have to move what is known as further down the capital structure. We have to take, uh, we have to, in, in layman's terms, it's simply by going from a AAA rated credit, if you look at rating agencies, and going down to triple B, or in some cases, into what is commonly referred to as junk or high yield. Now, obviously, if you're investing in lower rated, lower quality credits, same with equities, is that you have to, you're taking a greater degree of risk. And therefore, you have to accept a greater degree of volatility. What we do is to try and suppress this to a greater or a lesser extent. We're not trying to immunize the fund completely because we want to take some exposure. We need to take some levels of risk to meet people's expectations on return from income and capital. So, you know, it, so we put these safety nets, as you called them, Darius, in place. And in ease terms, we pay some premium. It's like an insurance contract. You know, if you've got a car, you pay an insurance premium to, to insure yourself for every single year, for, per year, every year. The same thing is with financial assets. You can buy an instrument, uh, and it's called an option, but all it is is paying a premium to insure yourself to a greater or lesser extent against markets falling. Now, we had these in place back in, uh, in, in February and March. We had these in place more recently, and the fund has capitalized, and it will start coming through in the next couple of days, where equity markets have fallen 6 to 7% in the course of two or three days. Uh, and we actually generated quite considerable profits on the portfolio to help immunize against that. Another when we talk about dynamic, it, it, it also means that you have that flexibility to invest across the full spectrum of fixed income assets. Uh, one which um, I know we talk about when we get together regularly is emerging market debt. And I see you have a couple of positions in your top 10 holding, two in Russia and two in Egypt. Tell us a little bit about um, these positions and where you're, why you're finding that risk worth taking investing in those countries' government bonds? Well, everyone seems to, first and foremost, people when they hear the word emerging markets, they automatically think it's a worse credit. It's a worse credit quality. They've got riskier asset classes. What I will say, Russia, for instance. Now, if you look at Russian dynamics, either from a growth or from a debt perspective, and compare those relative to the UK, I would argue that both of these are in a much better position. Uh, so Russia's growth has been alongside very similar to the UK and actually stronger than the UK. Russia debt to GDP, this is the total amount of debt that Russia have as a percentage of their, of their total amount of money the economy is worth, is only around about 15 to 20%. Put this into context, 
everywhere else, including the UK, you're looking at the high 80s, and in some European countries, you're looking at above 100%. So from this perspective, we're much more happy, much happier holding exposure to Russia, which you might have uh, think as a risk, and I think as an opportunity, because we're generating a better income, and indeed we've generated a considerably better amount of capital out So, So you compared Russia to the UK. Roughly how much of an extra yield income do you get on a like-for-like bond for investing in well, Russia I mean, in the UK looking, today? If you're looking at... Uh, 10-year Russia debt, you're getting a yield of around about 5.5%. When you're looking at relative to the UK, when you're getting getting considerably lower, a tenth of that, a half a percent if you're lucky. Uh, and actually, right. shorter dated, you're actually getting very, very little indeed now. Uh, and we've known that for quite some time. So from an income perspective, it gives you a great, a great uh, an extra level of income to distribute. From a capital's perspective, as if, remember, if you're investing in fixed income, fixed income give positive returns when government bond yields or interests go lower, and typically, uh, uh, and you and give negative returns when interest rates go higher. Well, Russia, for instance, has consistently cut interest rates. Short-term interest rates, still in our perspective, could be cut by another one percent. And they would still be yielding significantly greater than the UK. And that means we have a much greater capital opportunity of generating positive returns out of the likes of Russia and even out of the likes of Egypt. So another interesting thing which we, we, we need to discuss with any um, fixed income or bond fund manager is inflation. Um, and interest rates. Now, we know we're at record low interest rates. Inflation doesn't appear to be knocking on today's door. I'm sure you might have a view on that. But another tool that you have is inflation-linked bonds uh, in your sort of suite of fixed income buckets to go uh, hunting for income and returns. How how are you finding that opportunity set, if at all? uh, And what's your... um, your simple view on inflation over, say, the next 12 and then 12 to 24 months? Well, uh, much perception or much, uh, many people on expectations have been talking about deflation, you know, asset prices falling as a result of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. As a result, of, they believe uh, uh, prices of goods are going to fall. Uh, when realistically, I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, I actually think that prices on goods are going to relatively remain stable. But the one thing about investing in inflation-linked products, inflation-linked gilts, or indeed inflation-linked corporate bonds in the UK, uh, the one thing about them is they already move to discount a future level of inflation. So you'll generate a positive return if the level of inflation we uh, is expects to go higher, and that's actually started to price into asset classes. Now, inflation really has remained stable. So, despite much talk that we could be in a deflationary environment, all the assets that you can invest in have remained relatively flat over the course of the last three to four months. So, much of future levels of inflation have already remained stable or actually priced into some of the asset classes. Now, that's over the shorter term. Over the longer term, I am a firm believer that you are going to see a higher level of inflation, but I don't expect this to come through meaningfully 
uh, to UI or indeed to asset prices or into a, in a, to give us enough ability to generate positive capital returns until probably the second half of 2021. So you're a good 18 months away before you're going to start seeing uh, an acceleration in inflation. Uh, and just as a, a, a side issue, one of the ways that we can get around or governments get around the or try to uh, get around the fact is they're issuing so much debt and accumulating so much debt, moving out of austerity, is to inflate your way out of it. And what they mean by this is allowing inflation to grow higher. Uh, and again, there's ways of benefiting and generating positive returns out of this in a flexible manner. Yeah, well, we we, we shall see on the inflation. Uh, I googled what QE means in 2009 because, as a chemistry background, I, I hadn't done economics, and it said inflation. And we know we didn't really have any in the last decade, but maybe the super QE that we've had over the last six eight weeks might lead to some inflation I don't, I don't, a little my, further down the line. From my perspective, quantitative easing, it's never, increased, it's never added inflation. It's never been a tool to generate inflation. The one difference between now and previously is that quantitative easing typically benefited companies and asset prices, equity markets. It allowed companies to, to do financial engineering, you know, share buybacks, special opportunities, special dividends, for the, which obviously benefits share shareholders principally over and above bondholders and debt holders. Now, the fact of the matter is all the governments globally are now addressing the issue with regard to economic slowdown through fiscal expansion. In layman's terms, they are going to borrow a lot of money and they're going to inject that directly into the economy. Uh, And you can see evidence of this already and we know that this is coming through. So a lot of this fiscal expansion for the first time and a lot of the quantitative easing for the first time is actually going back into the real economy. That means we have a greater chance of having a higher level of inflation in the future than we ever have done for the best part of 12 years. And that people might think that's a bad thing, but think about it from a perspective of you as a saver. And actually, a higher level of inflation, in my opinion, will actually lead to higher levels of wages and will actually lead to higher levels of interest, which which in turn will lead to greater opportunities for an increase in the income that you can get available from any of your investments. So it's not a bad thing. Now, we've talked a lot about the different opportunity set that that you as a dynamic bond fund manager have. We've talked about investment grade, we've talked about high yield, we've talked about emerging markets. Another part of the fixed income area, which is not uh, maybe as familiar to to, to our end investors and, and listeners to the podcast are convertible bonds. Maybe you'd just close um, today, Dickie, by just giving us a two-minute um, on, on convertible bonds, why you like them, and and because you do use them in the fund. Yeah, the, the fund has around about eight to ten percent allocations of convertible bonds. Convertible bonds uh, have exposure to equity market exposure. So convertible bonds, there's a range of assets. A good example will be just putting out of there Total, the oil and gas company. We see them. We see their stage, their petrol stations as well. Total have. Corporate debt, normal corporate debt, plus they have convertible bonds. 
hotel convertible bonds are probably cheaper today than they were because equity markets have fallen some 20 to 30%. So if you believe that equity markets are going to go higher and you think that Total is a viable company, then it makes sense to invest in a Total company. So, so just to take that back one little bit, what we're talking about is you're buying a fixed income a asset, asset, which could can convert to an equity asset if things go correctly. Yeah, as uh, but it also means that they can benefit much more. So if equity markets start, uh, they're very they're like a fixed income asset, uh, whereby you know, but but equally they can benefit from equity markets if they start moving higher equally they can again as you're right they convert into equity it doesn't help particularly with the level of income we're giving but certainly from a diversification of capital and the ability of generating greater returns in the future then convertible bonds offer an an attractive alternative over and above normal fixed income debt dickie thank you so much for your time today and talking our listeners through the wide range of fixed income opportunities that are available to a dynamic bond fund, such as the elite-rated Nomura Global Dynamic Bond Fund. Thank you very much, Darius. If you'd like more information on the Nomura Global Dynamic Bond Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And if you would like to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, you can also do that at fundcaliber.com or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed here are at the time of recording and could obviously change. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening.